0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not indestructible. <laughs> Have you reached that point in your life yet? You know, when you're 18, someone could tell you a house was going to fall on you. you. Just drop right out of the sky like Dorothy and Oz and the Wicked Witch, and you wouldn't move. You could totally imagine living through it, surviving it. These days, I worry about the things as unlikely as getting hit on the head with a block of that blue ice that falls off the the jet airliners flying overhead. You know, it happened again last summer. A man in Wisconsin was sleeping when a 12-pound block of ice crashed through the roof of his house, through the supporting beams, through his bedroom ceiling, landing just inches away from where he was sleeping. All I know, he said, is God had to have been watching out for me because I could have died said it sounded like a shotgun. That may be. But Jesus warns us this morning that we should be watching out for him. He wants us to be prepared. He's talking about what some people might call the apocalypse, from a Greek word that means a a revelation or an uncovering. Watch for his return, he says. Watch for the signs. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and there's lots more. What will be revealed and uncovered will be the completion or fulfillment of God's work in this world, the return of the Son of Man, Jesus' return, not as a gentle good shepherd this time, but as king of all and judge. You know, if that's what the end's going to be like, it's frightening as Jesus makes it sound. You can imagine most people hiding under their beds pretending that it isn't really happening. It makes you wonder why Americans are so in love with apocalyptic films and television shows and books. I can't begin to tell you, but I won't tell you because it embarrassed myself, how many dozens of books I've read about people struggling to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. From a nuclear winter to a world where everything that uses electricity gets bricked from an electromagnetic pulse attack. Or foreign invaders driving citizens out into the wilderness to fend for themselves. Alien attacks? Not so much. Maybe there's hope for me yet. I'm ready for Jesus. He can come anytime, as far as I'm concerned. But in the meantime, I try to be prepared for anything else that might speed up my own end time ahead of time. I've downloaded a first aid manual on my phone, complete with embedded videos to watch. It even tells you how to prepare for an earthquake and actually what to do if you're still around after the shaking stops. And you discover you're the tallest thing around for blocks. I've downloaded the 1600-page SAS Survival Handbook by British author and professional special forces soldier John Weissman. Everything you need to know about how to survive an earthly apocalypse, from hunting animals and building traps to uh, what to do with them, Uh, which you might catch something. What do you do with it? It teaches you how to build a dam across a stream how to make a fish narcotic from certain plants that will cause the fish to rise from the surface. And if your, your end, not Jesus' apocalypse, but your apocalypse, comes to an end in the Arctic, it even tells you how to skin a polar bear and reminds you not to eat the liver because it's fatally high in vitamin A. <laughs> you didn't know that before you came to church today, right? You learn to think differently about worst-case scenarios when you read those kind of books. The light bulb goes off. For example, have you ever thought about this? Sharks will only attack you if you're wet. Well, that's good to know, right? Or that everything I know about weaponry I probably learned from video games or political thriller novels. And so I had no idea until I read about it that if you're wandering around in the wilderness and you have a gun, shooting fish isn't a bad idea. It's just hard because of light refraction. Well, I knew that part, but I didn't know that sticking the barrel of gun into the water to make sure you didn't miss was a bad idea because it's likely to blow up. And I'm not talking about the fish. Who knew, right? My Kindle also has a collection of more practical survival-type books. They cover a whole range of specific scenarios you might find yourself in. For example, in the travel edition, you can learn how to control a runaway camel, pass a bribe, jump from a moving train, climb out of a well, deal with a tarantula, and cross a piranha-infested river, which is better done at night because they kind of sleep. And if they get scared and you wake them up, they tend to run away first. I have an addition that also specifically addresses retirement worst-case scenarios. It'll give you tips on how to spot a card cheat. Thinking, leisure village, right? Uh, and it'll uh, tell you how to take leftovers home from the buffet without getting spotted. Even how to drive a golf cart in a hurricane. It's in there. There's even advice about how to treat a, treat a, a knitting needle injury, accompanied by a sketch of someone who has uh, apparently just sat on one. Let's just say that if you find yourself in some kind of doomsday scenario that doesn't include Jesus, you might want to save me first. What? Well, they didn't come out like I meant it. I meant save my Kindle, which will be duct taped to my body. <laughs> the good news is that these worst-case scenarios really aren't always what they seem. Seemingly impossible situations are often salvageable with just a little preparation and forethought. I suppose we all have our own worst case tucked away somewhere in the back of our minds. Yours might involve hungry, hairy, drooling spiders or poisonous snakes. Or maybe it's the thought of financial ruin or infidelity or a lingering painful death. I bet a lot of them have to do with our transition from this world to the next. The end is coming for every one of us. But every so often, life dictates that we carry on as if we're going to live forever. And so, the question of the day on this last Sunday of the church here is what does it mean for us to live with the end in mind and learn the true value of the present? The Bible has a lot to say about that. You know, God's Word isn't just a random collection of, of campfire stories, uh, ancient stories that move in a. They're, they're ancient stories, but, but they, they, they move in a, a meaningful way from the creation of the world. All the way to the completion of God's plan and revelation. A new church year, a new church season begins next Sunday, uh, Advent. That's a time of preparation, not only for uh, preparing for Jesus' return like we're doing today, um, but as we move through the weeks of Advent, um, we tend to look toward the uh, celebration of his arrival the first time on Christmas. And then it'll be on to his revelation as true God and true man uh, with his miracles during the season of Epiphany, his transfiguration, uh, move into Lent, his temptation in the wilderness by Satan, move into Holy Week, and uh, finally his, his uh, uh, suffering and death for our sins and his uh, glorious Easter resurrection and ascension 40 days later back into heaven. Then it's on to the coming of the Holy Spirit and the explosive growth that the new Christian church experienced in spite of the uh, powerful persecution it faced followed by a long green season of lessons about a life lived in Christ, what it looks like. It all leads up to this morning, Christ the King Sunday, also known as the Sunday of the fulfillment. We recognize that one day Jesus will will be coming back to restore all things. Not only uh, Judgment Day, but a whole new heaven and earth, and the old one finally being freed from the bondage of sin. Life as we know it will transition from uh, really to the life that we've been looking forward to. The old will pass away, and those of us who are, by faith, children of God will want to say, yeah, good riddance. The, new, the church here is a progression, just like man's relationship with God has had a purposeful progression to it. You know, God first spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, actually spoke to them, it sounds like, in person, right? Then he spoke to and through the Old Testament prophets, finally through the Word made flesh in the person of his own son, Jesus. Today, God still speaks to us through his word, through the scriptures, the Bible, and he guides us through life with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in a believer's heart through the waters of baptism. That should be a very comforting arrangement. It's orderly, it's purposeful, it's positive, always moving toward a happy ending. This whole 13th chapter of Mark is a discourse between Jesus and his disciples regarding worst case scenarios. He's told them about the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful and imposing structure, the center of their worship and one that was built to last for centuries. It wasn't that long ago that the king had finally completed a 40-year-long restoration and expansion uh, project of this house of God. And now Jesus is telling them that it'll soon be torn down stone by stone. That will happen just about 40 years into their future when the Romans surround the city and then attack it and destroy not only Jerusalem but the beautiful temple as well. That would uh, surely be a worst case scenario for the Israelites who identified the temple building with the presence of God. But the Lord is also talking about the end of all things. The day He'll return in the clouds with the heavenly host as true king of all and as judge. He says, in those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Uh, Covers the whole place, right? Should the uh, end time, the coming of our Lord Jesus, and the destruction of the world as he describes it, should that be a worst-case scenario for us as believers? Think about it like this. Um, suppose you're home alone at night, and you hear what sounds like a crash and some banging around outside. Okay? When we think about our property, our, our personal space being violated, our first response is to be frightened. You know, it could be a stalker, or a burglar, a roving band of Girl Scouts, or God forbid, a vacuum cleaner salesman. Our imagination goes straight from, from one to ten on the, on the you know, ten is high danger scale. You go to the window and you peer out into the darkness, but you can't see a thing. Your body's defense mechanisms kick in, the the adrenaline starts pumping, and you imagine what the face of terror might look like just on the other side of your door. On the other hand, what you thought was a crash might turn out to be a car door slamming. And even though it's too dark to see, you begin to pick up snippets of conversation. Conversation and familiar voices. And then you get it. There's a knock at the door, and you open it gladly to welcome friends. That's how it'll be for believers when Jesus returns. Shock and apprehension, and then recognition and joy. Everyone will see him and believe on that day. Everybody. But for about two-thirds of the world, as we know it right now, as it stands right now, uh, it's going to be their ultimate worst-case scenario. For those people, the judge will have arrived. James describes it uh, as an imminent moment when he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, the early church naturally thought it would be in their lifetime. That was 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting. So all I can really say with certainty is that it's 2,000 years closer than it was then. While God has always acted in time, he's eternal, and he exists outside of time. He sees the past, present, and future as if it's all just happening. When he sent Moses to free the Israelites after they'd been enslaved in Egypt, he knew they were going to ask who sent him, what his name was. Moses had been a prince in Egypt before he uh, discovered and embraced his Hebrew roots. He knew his people had lived in Egypt for over 400 years, and the Egyptians worshipped as many as 2,000 different gods. So he asked God, if they ask the name of the God of my fathers, what shall I say? And God told Moses, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. I love that part. From our viewpoint, why would God wait so long if it's something we should be looking forward to? Well, we get a clue from Peter in his second letter to the church. He says, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We shouldn't be surprised that the Bible contains some mysteries, some things that God hasn't you know, chosen to reveal to us. Much of life is a mystery, isn't it? We don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know, what's going to happen to us on that day? What will it be like? Well, the Bible says some things about it, Maybe not as much as we'd like, but enough to to let us know that we better be ready when it happens. Peter is saying that the return of Christ is going to be the end of the world as we know it, and it sounds like it's going to be pretty jaw-dropping, but there's nothing we can do about it except be ready and watchful, and that's the purpose of our lesson in Mark 13 this morning. The rest of the Bible just tells us how to live so that you know, when that happens, we will be ready by faith alone, in Jesus alone. You know, we spend so much time preparing for the big one here in California, don't we? We, we uh, lay up water and, and uh, emergency food supplies and our lined-up emergency radios, uh, maybe even purchase a generator. Some of us, uh, more extremes Some of us maybe, even buy apocalyptic survival guides. <laughs> and all the time, the real guide to surviving the ultimate apocalypse, God's Word, it sits on a shelf unread. All those people who gambled that the Bible really was, just a collection of campfire stories to satisfy an empty heart, are going to find themselves without a chip to cash in. The game will be over, never to be played again. But what about us? What about those who, by faith, have come to believe in Jesus as the Christ and Lord of all? Will it be frightening for us? For those of you who are from Minnesota? You betcha, okay? Because it'll come suddenly and powerfully and without warning. Jesus says that even he doesn't know the day, but only the Father knows. And because nobody has ever seen anything like it, I think that it'll be fearsome, just like those unidentified noises outside in the dark. But then we'll realize that this is where things have been headed all along, and it's finally the fulfillment of God's promise. And as members of God's kingdom, we'll recognize Jesus as our friend, and our brother and our loving Lord who gave up his life for us when he suffered and died on Calvary's cross to take away all our sins. And we'll see that he is indeed alive, our risen Lord and Savior. And fear will turn to gratitude and excitement. You know, He may return as judge, but by our faith in that judge, we've received the forgiveness of all our sins. And when his gaze turns toward us, now The only verdict we'll hear on Judgment Day will be not guilty. We'll realize that our struggles and our suffering have ended and that it's really the day the world has been waiting for ever since Jesus' ascension back into heaven. It'll be a day of rejoicing, a day that will include happy, long-awaited reunions with those we've loved to have passed on. And so we can say with confidence, even eagerness, as we approach the end of another church year today, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.